a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we're going to tackle the issue of uh, the US assassinating world leaders. Well, I guess loosely they're world leaders or just they're political leaders in their mm. own right, in their own countries, and assassinating, the, assassinating them on foreign soil. Now, this is a trend that has happened, unfortunately, for many years, decades, generations. And the reason we're talking about this, of course, is because of the assassination of the Iranian second in charge, Soleimani, um, which has caused turmoil in the Middle East, turmoil for Israel, for America, for all sorts of allegiances. Um, so we're going to get into that for just a moment. But just as if you are new to this podcast, Dr. Keith is a renowned expert in foreign affairs. There is nothing this man does not know. He's got three PhDs. Is it three? Yeah, I, yeah three. I, I know. <laughs> Outstanding. I mean, he's he's you've been utilised by every facet of Australian media to talk about these foreign affairs for decades as well. So the man knows what he's talking about. Keith, let's launch into this. This is not the first time, obviously, that America has assassinated someone on foreign soil and a very significant person in Soleimani. That's right. So Qasem Soleimani, who's just been assassinated, was the leader of a major part of the Iranian Defence Force. He was in Baghdad and was killed by a drone attack. So a drone is uh, an unmanned aerial vehicle. So they can fly around the sky. They can hover. Um, the cameras quite often that are guiding them are incredibly precise. They better pick up your face so they make sure they go after you rather than going after me. In- incredible breakthroughs in technology. I was thinking when I was uh, for Channel 7 covering the inauguration of President Trump that this is going to be one of the last occasions, so that would have been in January of 2017, one of the last occasions that the Americans can actually hold an inauguration safely outside because this would be a great opportunity to wipe out a large number of people through these drone attacks. This is the new face of warfare. So um, that's the background to this. So uh, Soleimani uh, was visiting Baghdad. There's some question about why he was visiting Baghdad. There's certainly a lot of debate over why President Trump had him assassinated. Remember President Trump in 2016 in the election campaign promised to get out of places like um, Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan. He called these the mistakes made by his predecessors, Barack Obama and, and George Bush. But now, of course, the United States is getting sucked back into Iraq because of the assassination. So, and also, let's just quickly clarify as well that, that, that Barack Obama and other world leaders had gone to significant trouble to get a deal in place with Iran years ago, which then Trump, in terms of nuclear, their nuclear ambition, which then Trump unpicked exactly. as soon as he came in. So Trump, Trump hates anything that Obama achieved. And this deal to get rid of the Iranian nuclear weapons, which Iran was holding on to, it was honouring its commitments, but Trump has scrapped it, or at least tried to. It involves not only the United States and Iran, but also UK, France, Germany, uh, Russia and China. And those countries have decided they would try to keep the thing ticking over. So Iran agreed not to acquire nuclear weapons and then in return the international community will lift their sanctions. That includes countries like Australia. So that was the deal. It, it was a great achievement by Obama and Trump cancelled it. And so that, that that in itself was a surprise. 
And then the surprise assassination of Soleimani at a time when you th- would have thought that Trump was trying to get out of Iraq. Now he's having to step up the number of troops that are that are being deployed there to protect the troops that are currently existing. And just a very quick summary, because I know this has been all over the news for the last couple of weeks, but why why would he have done this? Why would his people have recommended killing of Soleimani? No one knows. This, what the, you know, one option has been that uh, the uh, military gave him an options paper with a variety of options. These are things you could do about Iran and included was this assassination. And, and Trump, of all these options, went for one of the most extreme. So, but as you say, the the other story here is the fact the United States is getting back into the assassination of major military and or civilian personalities. And that's what I was about to say. Like, if it's only on American soil, you almost you really they wouldn't be able to get away with it anyway. But you can almost get away with it. But when you go and infiltrate another country and kill their leaders on their own soil, that's just. Asking for trouble. <laughs> well, it's actually maybe a violation of international law, which is asking for trouble. So, and it's, I think, a decline about how we've got an erosion of international standards. So, what we have in international law are what are called norms, uh, which are really habits that people have agreed to follow. So, they're not necessarily in international law, but quite often they are. Uh, they are norms rather than laws because they lack formal enforcement mechanisms. So, we have a law in this country against speeding because there is an enforcement mechanism whereby if you are caught speeding, you're going to get fined, you could go to jail, etc. That's a law. A norm, by contrast, is something that you and I would do even though there's no uh, legal requirement. So walking to the studio today, I let you walk in first. That's a norm, right? That, so there's, there's no legal requirement on my to do that. No one's going to enforce it my decision to run in front of you, come into the studio first. So that's that's the difference between the, the norm and international law. And so the norms have evolved over the years uh, in terms of interfering in other people's affairs, etc. And generally, you don't go around assassinating other leaders unless you are explicitly at war with them. In the case of Osama bin Laden, clearly, well, in fact, he declared war on the United States well before 9-11, he declared war on President Clinton's United States. So they were, if you like, at war, even though there was no formal declaration by the US Congress. And similarly, of course, the Islamic State. Uh, President Trump managed to get rid of the leader of the Islamic State. But the Islamic State was clearly in a conflict situation with the United States. The situation with Iran, by contrast, is that there is no formal hostilities underway. There have been tensions between the United States and Iran for 40 years, but they've avoided an all-out war. Uh, And so the norm is that you wouldn't have gone after the leader of Iran, or in this case, a major military figure of Iran visiting Iraq. So that's all a bit of a mystery. But but of course, what it's also doing is getting people to dust off all their history books and saying, oh, the Americans are back to their old tricks. So if you look back at the, at the history of what's involved here is that from a very early stage after World War II, when the United States became a world leader, uh, it then got involved in attempted assassinations. They weren't always very successful. For example, the United States has admitted 
to making eight assassination attempts on Fidel Castro, who was the leader of Cuba. He led that a chi- was a bit embarrassing, really. It was a bit embarrassing. You know, they, they tried all sorts of things. They tried entrapment with seductive women who were going to poison his drinks, uh, a variety of things. They all failed. Oh, one apparently was even an exploding cigar, which presumably they got that at the magic shop. But you know, a variety of things, and he survived and, of course, lived through to old age and, uh, if anything, it was the cigars that killed him. But that's because he was a smoker, not because they were able to poison him or shoot him. So Fidel Castro is the obvious example. Now, for me, what is fascinating is that the United States has been through a period of soul-searching in the middle of the 1970s with the committee uh, chaired by Senator Frank Church. So he was a Democrat senator. So in the early 1970s, there were rumours about American intelligence agencies getting out of line. Remember, the Americans were slow to get into the intelligence business, but after World War II, with the creation of what is now called the National Security State, the United States spent lots and lots of money on intelligence agencies. So the National Security Agency, NSA, never say anything, no such agency, call it what you will, has the largest computer system in the world. So if NSA wants to hear what you're up to, it will turn on your mobile phone in your pocket, even though you've turned it off. They've got a backdoor entry into your phone and will find out what you're doing and what you're up to. But surely these controversial leaders, you know, would have measures in place to ensure that that doesn't happen to them, that they can't be bugged. Oh, quite often people have difficulty believing the warnings. In fact, Osama bin Laden is a great example of that. Osama bin Laden was warned about the regular phone calls he made every week to his mother in Saudi Arabia. Remember, he's one of 54 children, or was one of 54 children. Not with the same woman, right? His mother, <laughs> uh, his father, had a, a succession of wives. So we think he, he's one of about 54 children. And he used to ring his mother regularly from his cave in <laughs> Afghanistan or Pakistan. A very good boy. He brings the mother each week, never discussing military matters. And somebody said, you realise the Americans can listen in on your mobile phone, including, let me just say, Australia does that for the Americans at Pine Gap in Central that's, Australia. That's we right. do that. That's yes. our contribution. And and Bin Laden said, oh, no, 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 I'm, they, they wouldn't be able to pick me up on this. And so Clinton almost had him killed. But he had just got out of the cave in time. And after that, he then became far more circumspect. And, of course, as we know, at the end of his life, he wasn't using any IT at all. And all of his messages were being carried, very old-fashioned style, being carried around by messengers, handwritten messages at the very end because he was so paranoid about what the Americans could do. So in the early 70s, just as the US intelligence network is getting going, all these reports start to appear about the inappropriate behaviour of US intelligence agencies. And then, of course, in, in 1975, we get the Watergate scandal, which begins in 1972, drags out for the what, an impeachment crisis. In the end, Nixon resigns before actually formally being impeached. Um, he got out of the, the presidency. You then ended up with a, a number of what are called the Watergate babies. So the scandal is called Watergate because the building in which all this took place, was called the Watergate Building, which was the headquarters of the Democrat office, um, amongst other things. 
And that's a separate story in itself, the whole of that Watergate thing. And as we move towards Trump's impeachment, we really ought to look at the whole of the story of Watergate. But as a reaction to the resignation of Nixon and what was revealed about uh, the inappropriate behaviour of the intelligence agencies, in um, November of 74, we get we get a number of what are called the Watergate babies. In other words, these are a range of new politicians entering Congress in the November midterm elections who are there promising that they're going to clean up American politics. And part of that process is cleaning up the role of intelligence agencies. And so we then start to get these incredible uh, series of hearings revealing what the American intelligence agencies were doing, including spying using a foreign intelligence service to actually spy in, in, in the United States, which is illegal, right? It's like, you know, the CIA are prevented from domestic spying. CIA have been doing that. If, of the Watergate burglars, um, at least one of them was ex-CIA. Very interesting. That's, as I say, it's a whole separate story there about the involvement of the deep state and, and Richard Nixon. So arising out of the church committee, we get to learn about... Well, for a start, the assassination attempts on President Castro in Cuba, plus numerous other um, events that went on. They tried to kill the Congo leader, Patrice Lumumba, a nationalist leader. In the end, he was killed, but probably not by the Americans. They were were in the queue to get him killed, but others got him first and (laughs) killed him. (laughs) But, But he was on their hit list as well. And... Americans at this time were very innocent. They they simply could not believe that an inter- intelligence agencies could behave so badly, attempting to assassinate people, etc. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about the um, tradition of Americans trying to assassinate or assassinating foreign leaders on foreign turf. We've seen in the last few weeks the assassination um, of the US of Soleimani, who was a general in Iran and second in charge of the country and a very, very highly respected man there. He was killed on Iranian soil, which has prompted outrage in the the Middle East purely because you don't really go around killing people on their own soil, (laughs) (laughs) leaders of other countries. But as we're finding out, this is not the first. Nope. There is a long tradition. Of this. I've got to say, of course, the, let me just say the Russians are equally just as bad as well. You know, they've they've carried out poisonings as well. I don't want to be seen to be just focusing on the bad behaviour of the United States. But the United States tries to be better than Russia, right? That that we know the Russians are going for skullduggery. We know all of the bad behaviour they do, the murderous leaders they've had, particularly Joseph Stalin. Whereas the Americans have tried to convey that they are a special country. They are a light upon the hill. A city upon the hill, a light unto the nations, goes all the way back to the founding of Boston. So I'm I'm back 400 years ago. President Woodrow Wilson, at the end of World War I, visits uh, the United Kingdom and then goes off to um, the Paris peace negotiations. My grandmother was in the crowd to see him and he was greeted like a messiah. Here we have the son of a Presbyterian minister turning up you know, saying we Americans are morally superior to all of you people in the old world, which was Europe, and we're going to introduce all sorts of new ideas. Uh, We're going to ban the use of of warfare as an instrument of national policy. And so America 
from the 19, well, let me just say 1918, 1919 onwards, then started to convey to others that America was superior. It has a special relationship with God. There's a whole series of things that go into that American mentality on a providential mission from God. Similarly, of course, in, in World War II, they have a, an important role in in, uh, in winning World War II, beating the bad guys in, in uh, Germany, Italy and Japan. Then they host the United Nations in New York. And again, America is trying to say, we are the good guys. We are the ones that are going to set the pattern for the rest of the world. We are the ones that are going to enforce international law. We're going to write a lot of that international law. Uh, Two-thirds of all the world's lawyers live in the United States. It's a highly legalised culture that they've got. And so the Americans, when they heard the Frank Church Committee report in the mid-'70s, were just horrified, you know, to think that they're intelligence agents who would be spying on Americans and plus all the stuff that's come out about FBI spying on politicians, and including American politicians, obviously. They have a file on, or used to have a file on every politician, which means that the first thing you did when you got elected as president was to reaffirm that Herbert Hoover will be reappointed as FBI director because he's got a dirt file on you. Wow. That, so, so all presidents reappointed Hoover very quickly. Hoover was spying on John Kennedy from 1940 onwards, but Ambassador Kennedy, John's father, spoke to Herbert Hoover and said, I am worried that my son is uh, dating a German. Can you keep an eye on what he's doing? So they bugged the be- the bedroom for Inga Binga, as she was called in the trade. Uh, <laughs> so that they start, they'd opened their file on John Kennedy in 1940-41. This is well before he'd entered politics, but his father was concerned that he have a squeaky clean record before he got into politics, they could run it. And, of course, people had to think of, the you know, Camelot and Kennedy and all the rest of it. Hoover had the dirt file on all of those sex scandals. No wonder you, you wanted him back in that job. <laughs> so in terms of these world leaders, then how do, we, how do we assume the US makes a judgment on who is a threat enough to follow and get information on and potentially target and who's not? Well, the Americans would say since we've been scandalised by the revelations of Senator Frank Church 40 years ago, uh, we, we've turned over a new leaf. We don't do that anymore, right? We're not a t- a trying to kill foreign leaders unless there is a distinct issue of, of, of armed conflict of some sort. It National may not be security. a formal declaration of war, but you've got to have that element of common. Hence the, you know, it was, it, Bin Laden was the one who declared war on the United States. So the decision to get rid of him was quite appropriate. I would have preferred him to be captured and put on trial, but he might have spoken too much and too freely about what he knew about domestic politics in the United States and who's been supplying money to uh, terrorist groups, etc. So having him killed was actually convenient for a lot of people in America and Saudi Arabia, etc. So Americans have, have limited or claim to have limited the number of people they've killed. This is why we're so shocked. But then they, they're they quite instrumental. Like if you look at people like Gaddafi. What they did, of course, with Gaddafi was that they overthrew him. Now, this again, this is a whole separate program, mm. I think. We've got to look at the role of the United States in, in Libya. Um, Mrs. Clinton said that Libya was one of her greatest foreign policy successes. Obama said this is one of my biggest foreign policy failures because by getting rid of 
Colonel Gaddafi, and as you say, he met a very unpleasant end. But then he was an unpleasant character, so yeah. I don't have too much sympathy for him. But, of course, it's led to chaos in Libya. That's why we've got partly a refugee crisis in Europe because uh, now if you're an African, you go into Libya, which is a chaotic country now. You wouldn't have dared do that in Colonel Gaddafi's day, but now it's chaotic. You bargain with the warlords and you just get onto Lampedusa, which is a small Italian island just off the coast of Libya. Remember, Italy used to be the colonial power of Libya. You get on that island and technically you're in the European Union on Lampedusa. And so, that, so in, in effect, this has been chaotic. Libya is also a supplier to the international oil market, although not a major player. So we've got a disruption of the oil supply there. So getting rid of Gaddafi was not necessarily a smart move, as Obama has admitted now. And also then you all, and then the example of Saddam Hussein, obviously were, America was at war with Iraq and they wanted him removed and he was then trialled and then hanged. But then that caused huge disruptions for that country, which has never recovered either. That's right. In fact, Saddam Hussein, when he was told that the Americans would invade, said no one would be stupid enough to invade Iraq. Well, he got that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he mm-hmm. hadn't counted on Bush, Blair and Howard because clearly you need a brutal ruler like Saddam Hussein to hold the country together. And that's the risk you run, that you get rid of these strong leaders and you end up then with further chaos. So who knows now what's going to happen between the United States and Iran now that the Americans have got rid of Soleimani? Well, I think that's pretty much well said, Keith. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.